0: definitely hashtag midlife extravaganza and I, <laughs> I I you were you know Sophia, when we, we were talking earlier uh, yesterday you know you said something like you went with a friend of yours to a, a big a store with a grocery store and or you were running errands with them and you were just kind of having fun not worried about anything and Gordon brought a really good point but when you are like younger right you don't really have to worry about you know uh, excuse me for some of us do have to worry when they're really young and it's Horrible. Although, like, small kids, you know, they don't think about, unless they have to, about like where their food is coming from or paying rent and, you know, stressful things like health insurance or I got to get, I can only get half of my teeth cleaned because I can't get the other. And I got to say, I got to admit, warden I definitely felt that when I first realized that, like, things like health insurance, like, what, I can only get half of my teeth cleaned because insurance doesn't want to pay for it for a whole day. Totally a thing that wakes. Wakes, wakes a person up to see how, how when you're growing up, you become more embedded in the capitalistic system, and it's difficult to maneuver. We are just about out of time. Um, it's been great talking to everyone. I really wish we could, maybe we'll do a part two of this, because I think we can get some great stories. This has been The Gap. I'm Tammy. With me is Alcia and Sonia, and we want to wish you a happy Friday, and uh, take care of yourselves and each other.
1: Thanks. See you next week, who the world, girls? the world, Who the world, girls? Who the world, girls. Who the world, girls. Who the world, girls. Who the world? Girls. Who the world? Girls. This is Norman Sylvester, the Boogie Cat. You're listening to KBOO Portland.
2: KBOO is hiring a membership director. Our membership director maintains relationships with KBOO members and listeners, create a process to meet or exceed fundraising goals, and manage the membership database. For a complete job description and instructions on how to apply, visit kebufm slash employment. Apply by March 15th. Kebu is an Affirmative Action and Equal Opportunity Employer.
1: Hey, Bluegrass, Bluegrass lovers. lovers! Tune in Saturday, March 13th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. for a very special quarantine version of the Bluegrass Marathon from your friends at Music from the True Vine.
3: This year's marathon will feature homespun, socially distanced recordings from Jack Straw,
1: Left Coast Country,
3: John Cale and Annie Staninitz,
1: Caleb Clowder and Reed Wilms,
3: Doug Sammons and Jeff Smith,
1: Farmstrong,
3: and many, many more.
1: Don't miss this unique radio event to catch up with your friends and neighbors, playing music, and sharing stories from the lockdown.
3: Again, tune in to KBOO Saturday, March 13th, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. for the Bluegrass Marathon.
1: Don't miss it.
4: Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you so much for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Uh, today, we take a look at the new American Rescue Plan of 2021, the new stimulus bill um, expected to be signed by President Joe Biden. It is a $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package intended to speed up the U.S. economy, Um, and recovery from the economic and health effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and the ongoing recession. It also includes uh, what some are hailing as an historic move. It offers child tax credits. We will speak with Peggy O'Mara, independent journalist who edits and publishes at PeggyO'Mara.com. She was the editor and publisher of Mothering Magazines for over 30 years. Also, what's going on in relation to Haiti? The U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee starting today will hold hearings on the crisis of haiti including policy recommendations for the administration of president joe biden the hearing is being called for by congressman gregory w meeks from new york city who serves as chair of the committee so it's a closed session And what's the problem? Why are grassroots strugglers for democracy on the ground concerned about whose voices will not be heard during the hearings? Our guest is Kevin Pina, independent journalist, filmmaker, and educator. He serves as a country expert on Haiti for the Varieties of Democracy project sponsored by the University of Notre Dame Center for Research Computing. the University of Gothenburg Department of Political Science and the Helen Kellogg Institute for International Studies. Uh, Kevin lived um, for um, about a decade or so in Haiti. We live in a global world, we're all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of colour, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between
2: art and politics, now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. President Biden will deliver his first prime time address this evening at 5 p.m. to mark his first 50 days in office. Today also marks the one year anniversary of the World Health Organization's designation of the coronavirus outbreak as a pandemic. Laura Ross Brown Tellum reports
3: President Joe Biden's address tonight marks one year since the World Health Organization declared COVID 19 a pandemic.
1: I'm going in prime time to address the American people and talk about what we've been through as a nation this past year. But more importantly, I'm going to talk about what comes next.
3: He'll lay out the next phase of the response, including a vaccine push authorizing the purchase of an additional 100 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson single-shot vaccine. When the president speaks tonight, he'll have a big accomplishment to tout. The motion is adopted. The House of Representatives gave final approval to the nearly $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, one of the biggest spending bills since the Great Depression, which Biden is expected to sign Friday. For Pacifica Network and Public News Service,
2: I'm Laura Rosperutz Hellam. The world has recorded more than 2.6 million deaths from COVID-19. The U.S. death toll has topped 529,000, the highest in the world. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Rochelle Walensky said the numbers are starting to decline again, which is good news, although the average number of new reported cases per day remains high at 56,000. Walensky said the number of hospitalizations and daily deaths is also declining.
3: The latest seven day average is now down to 1,600 deaths per day. Earlier this week, we saw the number of deaths per day drop below 1,000 for the first time since November. All of this is really good news.
2: But Walensky said the number of new cases, hospitalizations, and deaths remains too high. She urged people to remain vigilant while vaccination efforts are scaled up across the country. About one in five Americans say they lost a relative or close friend to the coronavirus. Communities of color have been hardest hit. The AP Nork poll found about 30 percent of African-Americans and Latinos know a relative or close friend who died from COVID-19 compared with 15 percent of white people. The Senate has confirmed three more Biden administration nominees on overwhelmingly bipartisan votes. Ohio Congresswoman Marsha Fudge will head the Department of Housing and Urban Development. North Carolina regulator Michael Regan will lead the Environmental Protection Agency. The Senate also approved Merrick Garland as Attorney General. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell voted... For Fudge and Garland, but against Reagan, and he announced he will not support the confirmation of Deb Holland to serve as Interior Secretary. The Republican minority leader said both Reagan and Holland report to, quote, the front lines of the new administration's left-wing war on American energy. Jurors have acquitted an Iowa journalist who was pepper-sprayed and arrested by police while covering a protest last May over the Minneapolis police killing of George Floyd. After deliberating for less than two hours, the jurors found Des Moines Register reporter Andrea Sahuri and her ex-boyfriend not guilty on misdemeanor charges of failure to disperse and interference with official acts. sohuri told reporters after the trial she was relieved by the jury's quick acquittal. She spoke to the Des Moines Register. I think that the jury made the right decision. You know, they made the decision to uphold democracy, a just democracy, the freedom of the press, more than 100 groups called for the dismissal of charges last summer, but prosecutors aggressively pursued them. They argued Sahuri and her boyfriend did not comply with police orders to leave the chaotic scene outside of a mall and interfered with the officer who arrested her. Sahuri immediately identified herself as a reporter on assignment, but she was subjected to what she called extremely painful pepper spray blasts and jailed. Japan marked the 10-year anniversary of a magnitude 9.0 earthquake that set off a tsunami which killed more than 18,000 people. It also caused a meltdown at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, releasing dangerous radioactive substances into the air, water, and land. More than 40,000 people are still unable to return home. Areas near the wrecked nuclear plant are still off-limits due to contamination from the radioactive fallout. Security forces in Myanmar fatally shot at least 10 more people peacefully protesting last month's military coup. The latest deaths came a day after the United Nations appealed to the junta to stop using lethal force against peaceful demonstrators. Amnesty International called it a killing spree. The military also lodged a new unproven allegation of corruption against Aung San Suu Kyi the leader it ousted in the February 1st coup. I'm Eileen Alfonderry for Pacifica Radio.
4: And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. U.S. President Joe Biden set is set to sign the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. It is a 9, $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package intended to speed up the US recovery from the economic and health effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and the ongoing recession. Key elements of the stimulus bill include expanded unemployment benefits with a $300 weekly supplement through Labor Day of this year. 1,400 direct payments to individuals, emergency paid leave for over 100 million people, a 15% increase in food stamp benefits, and funds for black farmers, among others. Uh, Also, the states will get a good chunk of money to help with their COVID relief. A section of the plan hailed as historic by supporters expands for one year a refundable child tax credit. Democrats plan to make this permanent with legislation already being drafted in both the House and the Senate for a permanent child benefit. As it stands now, families could receive up to $3,600 a year per child. Parents with Children ages 5 and under um, would get a $300 payment per child, while those with children between 6 and uh, 16 would get $250 per child each month. The size of the benefit would diminish for single parents earning more than $75,000 per year and for couples earning $150,000 per year. Families whose income is too low to file taxes, including families headed by mothers on welfare, will be en- eligible to receive the benefits. Um, on the other side of the aisle, by the way, this legislation was not supported. Not one um, Republican voted for it. Mitt Romney has floated his own uh, child benefit plan with a bit more money, but his plans to pay for it would be reducing other benefits. Um, So uh, Democrats are opposing it. Uh, Recent polling from the progressive think tank data for progress shows some 59% of likely voters support child tax credits. The full stimulus packet is supported by 70% of those polled, including 59% of Republicans. Some critics on the right of the child tax credit criticize it for being a form of welfare, that people are going to be getting money without working, ignoring the fact that unpaid caregiving work um, is not only work, as the COVID-19 uh, pandemic showed, but that work produces billions of dollars to the U.S. economy per year, this according to the AARP. Others on the left, critics of the child tax credit, say it is too little and won't have the impact politicians are claiming of reducing child poverty by 50 percent. And many are upset that the push for a national minimum wage of $15 an hour failed to make it into the stimulus. This, they say, would be a true measure to lift families out of poverty. But grassroots women demanding a care income now are saying, not so fast. You could support a child tax credit as well as $15 an hour. It's not either or. And they are demanding that the child uh, tax credit be made into a permanent uh, child benefit. They say that while the government has distributed checks to people in order to stop the economy from grinding to a halt, it still refuses to consider providing an income for unpaid caregivers who are bearing the brunt of this crisis and that the child tax credit will indeed benefit single mothers and other impoverished families while acknowledging that much more is needed. How can one deny impoverished families, the majority headed by single mothers, the money from the child tax credit, they ask. Family unwaged caregivers, most of whom are women, including mothers and grandmothers, provide care for relatives, for children, the elderly, and people with disabilities. Let us go to a clip now, uh, breaking down um, the child tax credit. This is a clip from CNN.
3: It's huge, historic. Families can expect thousands of dollars in relief. First, those stimulus checks, up to $1400 for about 90% of households. The full amount for individuals making up to $75,000 a year and phasing out at $80,000. A check for each kid, and this time, their adult dependents qualify. Think an elderly parent and college-age student. If history is a guide, once signed into law, it could take a matter of days to start to hit bank accounts. People with bank information on file with the IRS, they're likely to get their money first based on their most recent tax return. That's 2019 if you haven't filed for 2020 yet. But the bigger payout here is the expanded child tax credit, a critical and historic effort to eradicate income inequality and child poverty. It gives parents with children six and under $3,600 $3,600 per child for a year and $3,000 per child age 7 through 17, $500 for each child 17 and 18 or full-time college students 19 to 24. Key here, direct monthly payments instead of getting a lump sum at tax time. Some back-of-the-envelope math, a family with two parents, two kids making, say, $96,000 a year. Added up, that's $1,400 stimulus checks four times, $3,000 for each child under 18. That's $11,600 for that family. Another example, a single mother with one child. a Stimulus check and the child tax credit together equal $5,800. And there's a more generous earned income tax credit. So much of this legislation is geared toward low income Americans. The Tax Policy Center says a low income household with children will get an average tax cut of nearly $7,700. Raising their after-tax income by more than 35%. This law is sprawling. There are tax breaks for childcare and dependent seniors or an incapacitated spouse, subsidies for health care premiums, money for agriculture, including $5 billion for disadvantaged farmers, a quarter of whom are black. There's housing aid, incentives for paid sick leave, plused up food stamp benefits through September, money for vaccine distribution and for schools and an extra $300 a week in jobless benefits through the fall. And the first $10,200 is tax-free for eligible households.
4: All righty, there you go. Let's welcome our guests. I'm delighted to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Peggy Amara, independent journalist who edits and publishes PeggyAmara.com. She was the editor and publisher of Mothering Magazine for over 30 years mothering magazine by the way very important for me when I was uh, uh, my daughter was young I was a young mom her books include having a baby naturally natural family living the way back home, and a quiet place. Peggy O'Mara has conducted workshops at Omega Institute, Esalon, Hollyhock, La Leche League, and Bioneers. She is the recipient of the La Leche League International 2001 Alumni Association Award, the International Peace Prayer Day 2002 Women of Peace Award, the National Vaccine Information Center 2009 Courage in Journalism Award, the Holistic Moms Network 2013 Lifetime Achievement Award, and five Maggie Awards for Public Service Journalism from the Western Publishing Association. Uh, she also has been active with election action for caregivers a group that came together uh to try to push the biden administration uh, if elected exactly on these issues and is an a supporter of the care income now national and global campaign she is the mother of four and grandmother of three peggy omara welcome back
5: oh great to be with you margaret thank you so much
4: okay so peggy omara um Tell us your reaction to the importance of this uh, child tax credits. I mean, you are the mother of four. What difference would that have made for you as a mom? Oh, my goodness.
5: You know, I, I almost cried last night when I was listening to the news about it. It reminded me of the bills that were passed when I was a, a young woman, you know, a young a teenager, really, in the great society with John F. Kennedy and LBJ and... Um, and finally to see a government actually doing something to help the people so i'm ecstatic about it um it would have made a tremendous difference to me but i see it uh, when i was a young mother but also i see it now for my daughter who's a young mother and a single mother and i see how much she has struggled especially during this lockdown um she's lost her job and she was taking care of her child uh homeschooling her child as she needed to do and very hard for her to find a job with that kind of a Schedule And single mothers like herself and low-income wage earners, uh, earners have been among the most hardest hit by the lockdown. And so to see some um, help to uh, low-income families and families in general is just um, is the way it should be. It's the way public policy should be in the United States. It's the way it is in the rest of the world.
4: Right, and, and do you think it should be made permanent and, and contrast um, the United States um, in terms of their um, child uh, policies in contrast with other developed countries who have had a child benefit for quite a long time now? Absolutely. Peggy.
5: Well, the good news about, uh, in terms of making it permanent, Margaret, uh, I, li- I listened to uh, Sherrod Brown last night on uh, Joy Reid show on MSNBC and he said that he and michael bennett corey booker and Raphael warnock would begin immediately working to make the child tax credit permanent by the end of the year when it expires and he was very optimistic about its chances to become permanent because he thought that it would be very hard to argue against something that actually had reduced poverty so as you said in your intro they've actually already started on this and they are confident about it um but the united states is it's an outlier, really, in terms of any family benefits, in terms of all other high-income economy, uh, high income economies. The U.S. spends less than 1.5% of its gross domestic product on family benefits. Um, only Turkey and Mexico spend less. Denmark, France, and Hungary, for example, spend 3.5% of their GDP. And it's our priorities. We spend just 9% of our federal budget on children, while we spend 15% on defense spending. So that says the whole thing right there. The US is the only country among 41 rich countries not to mandate any paid leave for new parents. In other countries, the least amount people get is about two months, and the longest is 60 weeks. And this is paid leave. Uh, We do hardly anything to help parents. We need not only these tax credits, but we need more cash benefits. We need paid maternity. maternity leave regardless of work history regardless of whether you've been working or not family-friendly work schedules where people can share jobs have flexible schedules and child care subsidies for centers but also for parents who are taking care of their children at home and of course we need universal health care in the 15 dollars an hour minimum wage and all those things would put us on a par with other countries and really um, produce prosperity uh, among all of our population not just the rich
4: Yeah, I know I was a single mom for a long time, and I could tell you, uh, Peggy Amara, even though uh, there are critics who say, well, this money isn't enough, um, but I could tell you it would have made a difference. I mean, everything is relative, and when you have advocates uh, putting it down and saying, well, it really isn't going to do very much, you just ask a mom, in particular, you you just ask a a low-income single mom about whether it will help her or not, and you'll get an earful, (laughs) all righty? on on that so uh, a
5: couple hundred dollars mm -hmm. helps a mom and you know i know from uh, following midwifery legislation that once you get a bill in place that's the hardest thing you can change it you can add more you can change it into something simpler perhaps it should be a straightforward child benefit rather than a tax credit because as you know some people don't apply for those tax credits it's too complicated or they don't think they're eligible because they haven't been working so, And as I think you also know, Congresswoman Gwen Moore has a introduced legislation to create an outreach program to help people understand about the tax credits that are available to them and help them get them. Um, so I think that's going to help a lot of people. But I think it is a good start, and I think that, you know, that's the main thing. Get it into law, make it permanent, increase it over time, make it simpler. Um, and as you and I have talked, to, talked about, and, and we've been involved in, you know, supporting this, And and being in favor of this um, We really want to make sure that this Whatever benefit Is coming for this child tax credit Goes directly to the woman Uh, Right now it goes to the taxpayer So we're hoping that over time that that can be adjusted I think they just need more time to Get all this organized It's happened so quickly But if it goes to the woman It's more likely to protect the child And um, women who are in domestic violence situations may be in some kind of financial entanglement Where they don't get that money Yes?
4: Right. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I just heard the the board up for for a moment. Um, that, yeah. No. Not to worry, Peggy. Let's let's just carry on. So you're absolutely right. I mean, because right now um, the, the supporters of this refundable child tax credit, and I should say that child tax credits are not new they were around before but what changes here is that it has greatly increased and also it before if your income was too low to file taxes if you were mom on welfare or whatever you weren't eligible to get this a uh, child tax credit but now with right. this refundable child tax credit um, you are eligible for it and they also cannot use the child tax credit to cut your other benefits like welfare mm-hmm. or food stamps or our Medicaid so that's very good news for moms at the at the bottom and you are absolutely right um, several are pushing for the child tax credit going to the primary caregiver and also for it not to be complicated uh, Congress yeah. is now figuring out uh, setting up portals uh, to make it as straightforward as possible and we'll have to see if they could figure out a way for it to get to the mother or the primary uh, caregiver um, the other thing uh, Peggy O'Mara is that all primary caregivers are eligible um, including those who have no income those who perhaps are are homeless and also families who are undocumented ITIN filers that's really important because uh, a lot of undocumented families are discriminated against Um, but Peggy O'Mara Uh Uh-huh. Go on.
5: Let me just say something about that, that the um, undocumented immigrants pay $27.2 billion a year every year in taxes. So they are tax-paying individuals, and they have their ITIN numbers that that could be used to distribute the payments. So I'm hoping that that's that's something that's going to be worked out as this is implemented, as it's um, expanded, that we will be able to get this to the undocumented families who so many of us depend on for the work that they do in our communities
4: absolutely right because it's a it's a little unclear in terms of what we've been able to find out um, how this will impact undocumented families on the one hand we were told by some congressional offices that the children of undocumented uh, parents if they have a social security number you do need a social security number um, to get these benefits that they would be eligible and uh, but we need we need some clarity on it because it's a really important issue and it is very unclear. But um, Peggy Amara, what do you say to those who, um, you know, who are saying, hey, this is just some form of welfare. You're giving this to um, moms and, and others who aren't working. What's your pushback to that?
5: Oh, my gosh, I can't even say enough against that. That is such prejudice towards poverty. That is just a total lie. I mean, the fact is, that so many people are living in poverty. Seventy percent of the people who are getting SNAP benefits and Medicaid are full time working individuals. They are not we do not pay people enough in this country that they can make that working people can make a living wage and that is the problem. And in this think that a couple hundred dollars a month for somebody that is gonna make a big difference in their life is going to do anything but help them and is, is, is just a prejudice towards poverty and an ignorant statement and what i want to say to those people is do you know anybody that isn't rich i mean do you know anybody that is a working family because otherwise what do you, you don't you have no knowledge of anybody other than you know your own peers if you don't if those people in washington are saying that that's just a false old argument i don't think that argument holds up anymore i don't think most people who believe it um and it's absolutely false and it's insulting to people who struggle and live in poverty because of the fact that wages have not increased for over 40 years in this country.
4: Right, and that's a, a very good argument for raising the way the minimum wage, federal on the federal level, to $15 an hour. That didn't make it into um, this legislation, but it is something that's very, very much uh, supported. Uh, but the the f- from the perspective of the Care Income Now people, who, uh, supporters, and I'm a supporter of that, who are saying, look, we have to redefine what work is because. Yeah. Um, Being a mom is work you know so what are you talking about that these are people who aren't working even the marshall plan for moms by these celebrity um, put forward with a full-page ad um, a couple of months ago uh, said that being a mom is work and that they should be a salary for it and in fact they were proposing a salary of uh, something like low eh, on the low end but it was over two thousand uh, dollars a month um, yeah. and it would remain for uh, moms whose um, income levels were less than 70 dollars a year. So what do you say to this argument about we only have to focus on uh, workers who are at what in the left is called the point of production or wage work? And what about unpaid caregivers?
5: Well, you know, unpaid caregivers do most of the work in the world. You know, we know this from the Oxfam statistics that most of the work in the world is done by <coughs> women and it's unpaid. In the United States, there are 53 million family caregivers that provide care for adults and children who can't care with themselves. And there's 11 million parents who stay home to care for their children. And you know, and I know that they are busy 24-7, that they are doing all the work in the invisible work in the lockdown. They're the ones that are taking care of um, children during who are not in school, the ones who are taking care of the elderly. Um, so. There is an international movement, and has been for decades, to recognize, and also in the United Nations, to recognize caregiving work as work. Uh, Gwen Moore, as you know, has put that into a bill to recognize both going to school and caregiving, to define that as work. Um, Global Women's Strike and the Care Income Now has been for decades, led by Selma James, um, calling for a care income. Uh, Wages for Housework was the campaign that she started. So I think this is a, a greens. The greens in Europe are calling for this caregiving income. Um, caregiving has been raised. It's both invisible, but during the pandemic, it has been raised more, so that we are seeing the importance of it, how centri- how essential it is, how much in the background it is, but how it underpins everything. So absolutely, caregiving is work. Um, being a parent is work. All these things should be uh, compensated for, and um, there should be income so that families can live. Outside of poverty, so that children can grow up outside of poverty, so that they don't go have to go to bed t- at night wondering what they're going to eat, go to school with a, an empty stomach. We cannot tolerate in the United States any longer children being so many children being in poverty, so many people suffering when so many others are so well off, and when there's plenty of money to go around for everybody.
4: Right, and there is a sign on letter put forward by Care Income Now about making this um, fully refundable child tax credit uh, permanent. And I think people can likely go to the Every Mother is a Working Mother website, Global Women's Strike, and and other other websites if they would like to sign on to this letter. But Peggy Amara, um, uh, my daughter, um, and and your work with Mothering Magazine was so critical uh, to the years Um, as a single mother i was spending working her and peggy uh you would be glad to know that just tuesday her first uh book dropped the disordered cosmos and i'm so very very proud of her peggy and so grateful for all of the support you have lent and advice to uh single mothers um going through what i was going through thank you so very much peggy omara yeah
5: i can't thank you enough
4: thank you so much All righty. We are going to take a a short station break now. And coming up, um, well, the House, um, just a few minutes ago, uh, Foreign Affairs Committee uh, began a closed hearing on Haiti. What's going on? Um, expert on haiti kevin pina and journalist uh, is with us and also we will have today our uh, weekly earth watch is back uh sylvia uh ribero will be joining us on geoengineering stay with us we'll be right back
0: mama dear mama look in yonder tree See that pretty little sparrow well, looking back at me. She can soar above the clouds way up in the sky. She can fly away from here. Why, I can't I? Daughter, dear daughter, I'll tell you something true remember granny liza well every night she flew
4: and that is just a beautiful, beautiful song. We could fly by Rihanna Giddens. And I want to dedicate that song today to my, what I call my sweetie, my daughter, Chanda Prescott Weinstein. I'm so very proud of her. And she has followed her heart and followed her dream. And now she has this amazing book, The Disordered uh, Cosmos, out. I'm trying to convince her to come on the show to talk a little bit about it. But that kid has been through so much and I knew from the time she was a baby that she had it in her to really be determined and uh, make her mark on this World, This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check out our Facebook page and our handle on Instagram and Twitter at so True Radio, And we are heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud in the United States. I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in that great state of Ohio. And internationally, I would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Ireland. We are now going to turn our attention to Haiti. The U.S. House of Foreign Affairs Committee starting today will hold hearings on the crisis in Haiti, including policy recommendations for the administration of President Joe Biden. The hearing is closed. It is being called for by Congressman Gregory W. Meeks from New York City, who serves as chair of the committee. Uh, thus far, testimony is limited and, and only includes representatives, as far as we know, from the Haiti Alliance. Uh, They've done a lot of work around deportations uh, and also the the National Network for the Defense of Human Rights and um, also Haiti-based human rights group, the National Network for the Defense of Human Rights, or RNDDH. But there are concerns on the ground in Haiti that the views and demands of the vast majority of Haitian strugglers for democracy will not be heard in this hearing, that they will be left out, and instead demands put forward by those identified by the United States as civic society leaders Uh, Will be heard. That includes, by the way, the voice of the movement and the party of Lavalas, which remains the most popular um, on the ground in Haiti. Although many are glad that the crisis in Haiti is finally getting the attention it deserves, respected activists in Haiti Solidarity Movement have identified a problem. Many of the United States left, the left of the United States, have been accused of picking and choosing which of the Haitian uh, grassroots movement demands they support, entirely leaving out some of the demands of the Haitian majority. This is especially true when it comes for the calls for immediate elections. The Haitian grassroots is saying elections are not possible with the dictator, with uh, Jovenel uh, Moise in power, that he has got to go. And also, if he goes, um, some civic society people are putting forward that he should be replaced by uh, somebody from the Supreme Court. The problem being the Supreme Court justices were named by Jovenel Moise or uh, Michelle Martelly. So there are many who don't trust that approach on the ground, but that doesn't stop uh, U.S.-based activists and uh, and alleged people in solidarity with the grassroots in Haiti. But here to uh, break all this down for us and let us know what the heck is going on, we want to welcome back Kevin Pina. Um, he is a journalist, filmmaker, educator. He's an expert uh, on Haiti. Um, Kevin Pina, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Margaret. How are you this morning?
4: Yeah, okay, i um, hanging in there. Uh, Kevin, I was going to play a, a, a clip of a, a protester talking about why they want Jovenel Moïse to go, but what I'd like to do is for you to really take the time and break down for us what's going on. What is the difference with what the demands being put forward on the ground by those tens of thousands of people across Haiti and what a selected group of so-named civic leaders are putting forward and have been picked up by many in the left here in the united states kevin pina
1: well i I think um thank you for having me on this morning but i I think i believe that the um the hearings are tomorrow not today
4: there is a Uh, hearing. there is part of a hearing happening today and then there's one that i think is a little bit more open that happens tomorrow i believe (laughs) at least uh, as far as i understand yeah
1: if you look at the calendar, it's actually scheduled for tomorrow, but that's not a big deal. But Emmanuela Doyen, who's uh, called a policy expert for an organization called Pop Dormi, which means we don't sleep in Haiti, is probably the most, I think, uh, authentic voice that you're going to see, but still that's problematic. Miss Galen-Joseph, and that's a haitian brazilian alliance out of San Diego. They just kind of popped out of nowhere. And then, of course, the most problematic, uh, who's going to be uh, talking before the committee is Uh, Rosie Auguste, who's with the RNDDH, which was formerly the NCHR, the National Coalition for Haitian Rights, which played a very problematic role in Haiti before 2004 and after 2004, really in the persecution of Las in working in the full court press to try to destroy the political movement that had catapulted Aristide to the presidency not once but twice, both times resulting in a U.S.-sponsored coup And with good reason, which is that, you know, this represents the majority of the poor. And any organization, any movement that really represents the poor in Haiti is a challenge to the grip of the oligarchy in that country, the wealthy elite who really are not free market capitalists but are monopolists, who really rely upon taking a big chunk of the billions of dollars, nearly $5 billion this last year, of remittances, uh, The money that family and friends send to Haiti to keep people alive. Well, people got to buy staples, and those staples are, are owned by monopolies. The distribution of those staples are owned by the monopolies of a few families. Uh, they are fabulously wealthy in a sea of the poor. And, of course, in Haiti, politics has become a franchise. It's become... Uh, if you will, another way to make a living. Uh, one of the few ways in Haiti to make a living if you can get elected to a public office. And as largely, you know, that's largely behind the corruption in the country because there is so little economic development because of this small clique of a wealthy elite that stands between Haiti and the building of a solid middle class. There is no middle class in that country. There is no middle ground in that country. So you've got this sea of 4, and amongst them you've got this political class, which is vying for political power, and you've got the oligarchy behind them, putting money, buying gangs, uh, manipulating the environment, and behind them is U.S. foreign policy. And largely, U.S. foreign policy has been wrong-headed. as I said earlier, it's resulted in two major coups, it, as a matter of fact, I will argue with anybody. Uh, who wants to have an honest dialogue, that much of what we're seeing today can be traced directly back to the 2004 coup in Haiti.
4: Absolutely. And, And, you know, yeah, sorry. uh, Mm -hmm. Go ahead.
1: No, it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah,
4: no, that you're absolutely right uh, about that. And, and and clearly, you know, I've, I've been down to Haiti, our crew. We were, um, Romero and I were down in La Saline, the first team down there talking with the victims of the massacre by these government, government-sponsored gangs, the new Tonton Macoute, reminiscent of the Duvalier era. But one of the things, getting back to um, what what is... What is happening today is actually there's going to be a closed-door session today with the administration, and then tomorrow will be the witnesses uh, that you just mentioned. But uh, explain to us, the uh, Haitian grassroots are saying that uh, they're asking people in the U.S. to support the demands of the People's Movement in Haiti for the creation of a transition people's government of sali publique. Uh, public safety capable of meeting people's basic needs and organizing truly fair and free elections. Tell us about that because that's one that is not being picked up by the left here in the United States. Kevin Pina.
1: Well that that's the next that's the next beat of this analysis. The the, the 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 first part of the analysis was to give you a sense of the players on the ground. And yeah. still Lava Las is wildly popular because It is that political movement which the majority of the poor still see as representing their interests, as opposed to the interests of the political players who are playing the games of the elite and the oligarchy, and ultimately U.S. foreign policy in the country. U.S. sponsored elections have gotten Haiti nowhere. We know that working with those forces that are easily corruptible by the oligarchy in Haiti have gotten Haiti nowhere and in fact what is called for is something revolutionary and that is exactly the difference between the platform that's being offered by the so-called sector democratique which is led by andre michel which includes uh, i've just i gotta say guys why on earth you would go to bed with a corrupt murderer known murderer like yuri la Torture is beyond me or with, with with someone like Reginald Boulos and the Boulos family, who were behind the 2004 coup and behind pressuring the United Nations to commit massacres in Haiti. Uh, not that Heleno Rebera needed a lot of convincing, but still there was that pressure that was applied. And so r- really... <laughs> When we look at the difference of what the mainstream opposition in Haiti is calling for versus what Lavalas is is calling for, it's a difference between the status quo, something that that the United States will accommodate, and that which is calling for authentic change in the country. Uh, you know the the, the, the Lavalas concept of sali public, as you as you brought it up, which is sort of Uh, Public safety uh, uh, is how it translates into English, doesn't depend upon former PHTK ruling party functionaries, officials, and allies acceptable to the U.S., the so-called international community, and Haiti's oligarchy. Instead, it proposes a complete break and restructuring of Haitian society under a popular government of transition. Folks simply don't know, Lavalas remains wildly popular among the poor majority and has been calling for nothing short of a revolution in Haiti to break the grip of the U.S.-backed wealthy elite who still pull the strings of Moïse Jovenel and the PHDK ruling party.
4: Right, absolutely. And the thing is, the the transition government that Lavalas is um, putting forward, they say isn't only Lavalas. That they say it will consist of credible personalities engaged in the struggle against the ex- exclusion and corruption and who share a vision of a new method of gun governance and it is this new method uh, Kevin that you are referring to but finally. It's very confusing for people um, in in the United States and also in Europe because you have people who sound very militant, they say Jovenel Moïse has to go, that they support the protesters on the ground, but nevertheless they seem bent on ensuring of silencing Lavalas and of their voices and demands not being heard. Just your final thoughts on that, because that's what the right wing, the core group is doing, but I am really worried about increasingly, you see some sectors of the left, including some of the black left, uh, falling into that particular trick bag. Kevin Pina, your final thoughts?
1: Well, you know, a good good example of that, of course, is Lula's return to the political landscape in Brazil uh, yesterday. And the fact that uh, nobody is mentioning the reprehensible role that Brazil played under Lula uh, in Haiti. Uh, Haiti, And it got so bad that even one of his staunchest supporters in the country, the MST, the the Movement movement Sentera, actually condemned the role of Lula and the Brazilian military in the United Nations military operation. But I raise it as symbolic of how people want to forget reality and want to ignore what actually occurred. We can't allow revisionist history. We've got to remember just what that coup in 2004 was about and how it led us here today, and how it is a direct result of U.S. foreign policy, and that we know that many of the same political figures who are talking about Haiti today under Biden were also there under Obama, and it was under Obama, quite frankly, that the PHTK ruling party came to power after a direct intervention of then-Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. But then, of course, we also yes. know that 2004 coup occurred under the a Bush, a Bush administration, or Republican administration. So if we look at it historically, you know, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, that fundamental policy of supporting Haiti's oligarchy as the private sector, as the primary economic motor of economic development, which is laughable, has not and will not change. And as a result, elections will always favor maintaining the status quo in haiti and nothing will change and lavalas is trying to offer a real alternative again nothing short of it being revolutionary today in haiti
4: right and kevin give us your um uh, your handle uh, on social media because you follow all of this very very closely and if people want to find out the truth of what's going on what should they do just tell us that quickly
1: you can just go to haitiinformationproject.net haitiinformationproject.net and it'll all be there
4: Right. And also, if you go to the uh, Haiti Solidarity, the Haiti um, um, Action Committee's website, HaitiSolidarity.net, you will find some of this as well. Well, Kevin, we always appreciate your clarity and your uh, calling it out. As far as I'm concerned, you should be one of those people um, uh, in, you know, telling, breaking down uh, to elected officials what's happening in Haiti so that you don't have people sending uh, the Biden team in the wrong direction or maybe it's the direction. They all want them to go in. Thank you so very much, uh, Kevin Most Pina. You and I both know that's why I'll never be one of those people. But thank you. <laughs> right, okay. Um, we are now going to wrap our show up with our weekly Earth Watch, focusing on geoengineering. We are trying this via Zoom, so we're keeping our fingers crossed that it will work. I'd like to welcome uh, Sylvia uh, Ribeiro, who is the Latin American director of ETC group the Action Group on Erosion, Technology, and Concentration. She is a well-known lecturer, writer, editor, and educator on emerging technologies, including geoengineering and biotechnology, and collaborates with a wide spectrum of Latin American organizations and social movements. She is part of the editorial committee of a magazine, Bioversidad, and uh, Susteno and Cultura and regularly publishes articles, including in Mexico's La Jornada and other groups. Um, Sylvia, welcome. Hello, very pleased to be with you, Margaret. Okay, so for people who haven't a clue what bioengineering is, please explain.
6: Yeah, geoengineering. Geoengineering is a set of technical proposal to m- manipulate the climate of the earth at large scale uh, either for in an attempt to remove the excess carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and bury it somewhere or to block part of to block the sun to try to prevent the rays to reach theirs or reflect them back to lower the temperature. The problem with all these technologies is that to really have any effect on climate and climate change, they have to be deployed at really, really large scale, and that will have a lot of environmental, social, economic impacts that will be very unfairly distributed.
4: Right, so uh, according to um, an article I read, it is it can simply be understood, geoengineering that is, as climate engineering, right? Where you feel like um, intervening in the climate will somehow solve the crisis that we're facing. Tell us about the types of geoengineering um, and what, if any, are problems with them.
6: Well, it is just yes, climate geoengineering, but the main problem is that uh, it won't solve the climate crisis at all. What happened is that it is uh, an attempt to manipulate the climate to mask the symptoms. So, so the, the same causes of climate change, which is particularly. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions due to the use of fossil fuels, it will continue in industry, in vehicles, and everything. It could continue and have a new industry and new profits for the same companies that caused the problem, oil companies particularly, could remove the carbon and make a business of that, or more extreme, what is called solar geoengineering, which is to try to block the sun. So the earth would theoretically cool down. The, oh and the goodness. problem with that is that if you would do that at the scale required to really modify, to influence the climate and influence climate change, what happens is that uh, it will have, for instance, this imbalance, the rain and wind patterns and provoke large droughts in Africa, in Asia, and in many other parts.
4: And what about this carbon dioxide geoengineering?
6: Yeah, this is also a way of saying, you know, that oil companies and fossil fuel industries that use a lot of them, that it goes from the digital industry to the food industry in their chemicals and everything, all that is fossil fuel based (laughs) and to 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 continue emitting that, they can make like some of these technologies to remove carbon from the atmosphere. But the problem is that even if they they could do that, which is not proven at all that they would they could do it in a significant amount to really have any influence on in the climate, but if they do that, they will continue emitting gases. And by continuing emitting gases, it will be a moment where we will be in a completely new phase a worse crisis of climate than what we are now
4: oh my goodness and you know then there's all this talk about um this the mirror effect on the earth's atmosphere which sounds kind of scary and then um but what about fertilizing the ocean as a a form of geoengineering
6: well you know, for, fertilizing the ocean is almost—I uh, mean—it's only some of the profit companies that try to do that, that insist on that, because there is, there is a United Nations um, body. The London Convention is a convention that is about—is uh, is a convention about preventing dumping in the seas, and they have said that basically ocean fertilization can't be used; it should be banned because. Of the effects on the marine web food so uh, what happened is that you have the food chain in the in the seas and when you use if you use ocean fertilization uh, in a large scale then it will go down but and go down in, into the bottom of the of the sea but it will affect the amount of oxygen in the water and you know many different living species there will die and that will influence the whole marine food, change. So, marine, marine food change so this is also one of the technologies that the united nations has called on in fact they have called for a ban through the london convention but also through the convention on biological diversity we have another technology now that is being very discussed because It is proposed to make an open-air experiment, which is an experiment on solar geoengineering from uh, a solar geoengineering program in Harvard, which is called Scopex. It's a different kind. It's not ocean fertilization. It's it's the kind of manipulation, of climate manipulation, that is aimed uh, to distribute particles in the stratosphere, mimicking a volcano cloud. to to cover the the sunrise, to try to block the sunrise.
4: Right, and and for people who want to, because we we are out of time, I'm afraid, who want to find out more about this and about your work, is there a place they can go, a a website perhaps, Sylvia?
6: Yes, please uh, go to geoengineeringmonitor.org. And you will have plenty of documents including about this COPEX experiment from Harvard, that they have tried to do over indigenous territories in the US, in Arizona, and New Mexico. And now, they are trying to do an experiment in Sweden. There is a lot of resistance from organizations, environmental organizations, and indigenous organizations. And it would be really important for many people that are listening to this to know more about the impacts of geoengineering and how this could affect all of us, but also particularly these experiments in indigenous territories.
4: Well, we really want to thank you, um, Sylvia uh, Ribeiro, and also the Global Justice Ecology Project. We partner with them for our weekly Earth Watch, and please keep us posted on all of what you are doing. Thank you for joining us.
6: Thank you. All righty.
4: Okay, we are out of time. Um, today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. Um, I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Romero Funes, our audio engineer, uh, Kiana Williams. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradiarchives.org. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and our outro song, Underdog. Dog by Alicia Keys. Thank you for listening.
0: She's riding in a taxi back to the kitchen, talking to the driver about his wife and his
2: KBOO Portland.
1: Are you a KBOO member? Tell us why you support KBOO. Call our listener testimonial line and leave a message telling us why you support KBOO Community Radio. Testimonials will be used on air during our next.